Our Live It Speaker Series guest this week is Dan Fleischman. Thanks for being here today, Dan. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yep. Look forward to getting to know uh, more about you. I think we briefed you a little bit that the, the object of the series is to, to, to try to help people prepare for their futures. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, we haven't, we've only known each other for like less than a year, right? About that, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we were at the, I think the, the Wolf Jordan introduced us yep. at a restaurant in La Jolla. Yeah, I don't think we were wearing masks, so maybe it was more than a year. It's around there. Yeah, so oh, that's right, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so like my, my wife was there, and, yep. and uh, she, when we left, she's like, who is the guy that was sitting next to me? I said, that's Dan Fleischman. And I thought it was funny that at dinner, you, you had mentioned that one of our salespeople had knocked on your door in Del Mar. He did. It was so recent before that, too. It was like three or four weeks prior. And I really wanted to do it. I'm like, yeah, this guy was so good. And I visually remembered him. I took his phone number, which is strange, right? Like who takes the, the pest control guy's phone number? Like I asked him for his phone number, <laughs> you know, like it was, he was just so good. I was so impressed. He was impressed with you. He knew who you were. I think, I don't think you'd seen him until like what, an hour ago. Yeah. Like being here. Yeah. Thanks for agreeing to, to, to join us here with the podcast today. Well, you did loan me your entire building for tonight. So that's <laughs> easy way to ask me for a podcast. <laughs> I got 300 guests coming for tonight and you just casually like, yeah, go ahead. Do it at my place. Yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. I'm actually, I actually look forward to it. It's going to be good. Uh, so my, my way of like describing what you do still, because I'm still in awe with everything that you do is to say that to me, you're a, you're a serial entrepreneur and a marketing guru. I like it. It's good. <laughs> sums me up in four, four words. How would you do it? How, what would, how would you describe yourself? I'm an angel investor and deep in the social media space. Yeah. So one of the first things that I do about you is I found that you were the youngest person to ever take a company public as well. Is that true? Oh yeah, it's very true. I still hold the record. Uh, I was 23 years old at the time. So that's many years ago. And it was a whirlwind because this is pre-social media. This is back in like you didn't even have like MySpace back then. This is yeah. just like, and so getting famous at 23 and being on CNN and all these major platforms and channels and then dealing with all these retail stores at the same time. Cause I was, my whole focus was the business side of it. I didn't care about the, the fame or the TV interviews unless they let me market my product. Yeah. Unless I could bring my energy drinks or my clothing onto the show. I wasn't even going to do it. Right. And so doing that at that age and then being in the room where everyone's 50, 60, 70 years old in the public markets, and I'm a baby, I'm 23 years old, it was fascinating times. I, I actually wrote a book that I never put out called The, <laughs> the Youngest Guy in the Room. That's funny. After that, the smartest guy in the room, kind of. Yeah. Anyway. So speaking of which, so talking about your youth, I think you're from San Diego, yep. like raised in San Diego, high school in San Diego. What point, and, and I, think, I think you were pretty successful as a teenager, is that right? Yeah. So tell me how the Who's Your Daddy came up, like what, just the journey of it. So essentially I was working three jobs in high school. I went to Patrick Henry High School in San Diego. Yes. And I was saving up money to go to college because we didn't have much money as a family. Um, you know, my parents were working for 24 grand a year, family of four. It's not a lot of money, especially in California. And so I worked morning, noon, and night and still had to go to school and still get good grades. And so I was working at the stadium selling peanuts and Cracker Jacks. And then working at Ruby's Diner with my sailor's hat on and working for a stockbroker in between. And anything I could do to earn revenue, I would do. Like I was selling candy in, out of my backpack every single day at school. I had five different teachers selling it for me. They were my candy dealers. And so I had five teachers. I would drop off boxes on Mondays and pick up the money on Fridays. And I let them keep five candy bars as their payment because I couldn't pay them money. And so I had that whole, that racket was going and they were selling cereal boxes for me. And I tell you that story because 
That's how I met my business partner of how I started my company. My business partner was my number one customer. He used to buy all my cereal boxes, all my candy. He would buy it for girls. He was always one buying lots and lots of extra ones for his friends and for girls. And we came from two different worlds. I was driving my 1982 Buick Regal. He had a Corvette and an Escalade at 16 <laughs> years old, right? Because his, his parents uh, owned a company called Rhino Linings, which had like 1,200 locations at the time. I know. I've, I've used them. See, there you go. And this is two decades ago, right? Yeah. So think about how big they are now. So we were two different worlds. I had my 82 Buick. He's got Corvettes and Escalades. San Diego. Yes. And uh, he always said the catchphrase, who's your daddy? Whether people liked it for sports or comedy or sexual, whatever they took it as, people enjoyed the name and they would always smile. So I got the bright idea like, oh, let's put on t-shirts. I made 150 t-shirts, sold them for 15 bucks each. All of a sudden I got a couple grand. I'm like, I'm a millionaire. This is huge, right? I got a couple thousand dollars cash, cash, just selling t-shirts at you know the, the local high school lunch. And so then I took it more seriously. I went to a trademark attorney who I still use the same one today, 20 years later at a Del Mar. And I started trademarking for every different version of the product. Each class of trademarks that you do, you can't just say, I want to trademark this word and it's going to give you everything. If you want to get a trademark, I had to do it for clothing and accessories, printed goods, barbecue sets, diapers, sexual items, sporting goods, all those are separate trademarks. It's only 800 bucks here, 1300 bucks here, until you do it times you know, hundreds of products, and then you gotta do the same thing for each country. So you can imagine how expensive it gets. And so anyways, that's the longer version of what happened was, I was in high school saving up money. The 43,000 I had saved over those couple years for college, I didn't actually get to go to San Diego State. They dropped me after a few weeks because I just wasn't going to class because I'd already had at that time millions of dollars in sales by the time I was 18. And I had a warehouse in LA, a showroom in New York in the Empire State Building. Like I was flying back and forth. At 18? Yeah. And so it was like, they just dropped me. I walked into class, this is a quick funny story. I walk into San Diego State and the teacher says, Dan, you don't go here. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, Dan, you're not in my class. I was like, you just keep saying my name. What do you mean I don't go here? He's like, you don't go here. Once you miss three classes, it's over. And so I never went back to college after. <laughs> so I ended up at Real World University. You know, we ended up doing nine and a half million dollars the next year. And at 19? Yeah, 19. And then the next couple of years were a blur. We ended up doing eight figures a year. We were in most major department stores selling our clothing and barbecue sets. And then at 23 is when I took it public on the stock market to launch the energy drink. Because I knew that energy drink needed a lot of capital. A lot of times people don't realize when you're starting your companies, even when you're right, even when you do well, even when you go crush it, you need a lot of money for the inventory because retail chains pay you three to six months after you ship it to them. Well, that means you got to make it first and then float the money for three to six months. So going public allowed us to get a lot of capital to do that. And then 23 to 27, I just didn't sleep. I really don't remember it. I just sold, sold, sold into those 55,000 stores. Wow. So like, but you, st I mean, it sounds like things started going like a whirlwind for you when you were 17. Yeah. Like things changed. You, you're able to stumble your way through high school though. Yeah. So when I was a senior, uh, when we graduated is when we went full time on the company. So uh -huh. we were selling at during that school time. Uh, but that summer is when it really got big. We went to a clothing convention called magic, which uh -huh. is the big, still to this day, the biggest clothing convention. At that convention, we did a million in sales. Wow. And that's what set us up to do everything. So you started talking about the other lines and you talked about how the energy drink, you kind of launched that 
how many different entities were being spun off? Sure. So you see only, what I mean, like how many yeah. silos did you have that were who's your daddy's silos? Yep. So it was just one company that had different product SKUs. Okay. And so energy drinks, clothing, barbecue sets, those were all different SKUs. All under one EIN. Yes. Okay. Yep. And so, and we also own trademarks just to not let anybody else get them. So we own sexual products, never sold one or licensed it because yep. we didn't want people doing it. But the catchphrase, some people thought that. Some people felt that and they thought they tried to do it, we'd stop them. And other items we'd trademark just to stop the big guys. And so I ended up in lawsuits with Major League Baseball, Fox because of Star Wars, like in one, all these lawsuits that were up against these 800 pound gorillas. And mostly because I wanted the focus of the brand to be an actual product, not just a fun catchphrase. That's interesting that you had that vision uh, early on. Did you have anybody that was advising you or other than your business partner? And So my older brother helped a lot, um, but I ended up getting a, a mentor, if you will, the guys for our first warehouse. They had done hundreds of millions in sales and clothing. They owned like Fender guitars, Ocean Pacific, Body Glove, LA Gear, all the biggest licenses in the world. And so that warehouse, and I'm still friends with him and his son, you know, 20 years later, they had a big exit of over $100 million. They sold zillions of dollars in clothing over the years. And so they helped me navigate the difficulties of the clothing space of the, you know, chain stores are difficult because they take a long time to pay you. And because <laughs> they can yeah, exactly. And you're at their mercy. And then the licensing deal, they got me that licensing deal for uh, that $9.5 million licensing deal that they did that for me. Well, that's a big deal. That was huge. Yeah. So what, what, what would you say are the biggest things that you learned or your one or two takeaways from that before you went on to do other ventures? Cause I know you've done a lot that where you said the things that have helped you the most, not, not necessarily at the time that you thought, wow, this is interesting, but looking back on it, I, this is what was helpful. The things that helped me the most were the bad things. Like it's the best teacher, isn't it? Yes. When yeah. you end up in a lawsuit or you end up in a confusing situation or you end up not getting paid because you did something wrong or you didn't do the right contract. Those are the biggest wake up learning moments that have stuck with me for years. And so the main takeaway I tell people is sign contracts with everyone, including your mom. And when I say that, it's not because you're ever going to sue your mom, right? It's not that. It's that if you have that basic scope of work, the memorandum of understanding or a scope of work, an SOW, if you have that saying, if I do this and you do this, this is what happens. If you don't do that, then this is what happens. If you have that, you have clarity. So you're never going to sue your mom. But if I'll just give you a quick example, let's say you say that, but a lot of people have sued their mom. Yes. I mean, you're saying that, but cause you're trying to be polite, but really if, if you bring me seven people who go do things with their mom and they have contracts, five of them are going to end up with lawsuits one way or the other. <laughs> I, that's what I think. Sure. So imagine mom says, Hey, clean up your room this week. And on Friday, I'll give you money. Okay. Well, Jason, let's say Jason and Dan are brothers. And mom tells us that, well, Jason might clean the room once. And then on Friday, he's expecting 50 bucks. Where did the $50 number come from? No idea. Why did he only clean the room once? That's what he thought. That's what he felt. Dan cleaned the room five days in a row. And I'm expecting 20 bucks. Why did I clean it five days in a row? I don't know. I just figured I should be cleaning it every day. Why do I expect 20 bucks? I don't know. Maybe she's going to be four bucks a day. I don't know. You don't know. She doesn't know. Does she know? Wait, I don't know if she knows. Okay. Friday comes around. What does mom give us? Five bucks each. You and I are resentful against mom, right? Yeah. Mom thinks we love her even extra, right? We already love her, but now it's extra because she just gave us five bucks. Yeah. You, I'm now resentful 
Why'd you only clean your room once? And I did it five times and we got the same rate. Mm. That's what the heck? Do you see how many people are in a confusing situation where it could have had clarity is on Monday when mom told us that she said, if you guys clean your room every day, I will give you five bucks. And then we can make a decision to say, no, screw you. Maybe we should offer you this. Or what if we do this? Or I'm going to clean my room once and then you give me five bucks. I'm going to clean it five days in a row. You give me 25 bucks. We could have a discussion about it and there would be clarity in advance. Yeah. And she should put it in writing, not just say it. Exactly. Like put it in writing and then, and then, and then put in writing what is not being paid. Like if it could be piece, piece rate work. First time you clean your room and it's, it's approved. Here's how the approval process works. I, I pay four dollars yep. every other day you clean your room and it gets approval and approval means i sign and check this box right here then that's worth 50 cents oh. Oh. and then that's piece piece rate yep and you can only do it a maximum of one time in in any calendar day 24 period. And in that process it would resolve the frustrations that would happen on friday because on friday when she gives us five bucks we knew that was coming and you only did it once and i did it five times well we both knew what we were doing and why and I think that's the biggest thing I wish I would have done over the course of my life was there was a lot of situations where it's like, Hey, Dan, help me raise $2 million for this. I was like, Oh, great. And then they say, okay, I'm gonna give you 5% commission. That's gonna be a hundred grand. Sweet. Set them up with the person. That person puts in $2 million. Bada bing, bada boom. I didn't do a contract. Cause why would I do a contract? This is my friend. He's going to pay me. And then he takes the 2 million bucks, builds a huge company. Dan doesn't get 5% cash or any equity. And this guy, when I see him later, two years later, three years later, five years later, he's like, oh, hey, how's it going, buddy? And doesn't even think twice about not paying me. I don't have a contract. So contracts, the, like getting a written contract, any other takeaway? Um, act immediately. So too often people think about this and think about that and wait for this and wait for that. If you just start taking actions and you start researching, you start looking up the industry, and you're Google searching and checking on social media and you're checking on Yelp and you're, you're finding all the things about what you want to do and you make a website about it and you make your business plan about it and you make your social media accounts about it. None of this costs you a penny. Google's free. Social media is free. The website's free. Everything's free, right? The only thing that would cost you any money is to go get like a trademark or a corporation, which would still only be a few hundred dollars. So everything you want to do is free. If you just start doing all the things when you have this idea or the venture you want to start or the joint venture you want to do with your buddy or the, you and your brother want to start a company, just start, just start the process. And in that you will learn so much if you actually want to do it, like it, love it or hate it. Got it. So start immediately. Mm -hmm. Just take action st instead of hoping or wishing or thinking. Correct. Yeah. That's really good advice. So in between, let, let's move to your next venture. The next thing I can think of that you did is that you, I think you moved to Malta, but are you yeah. not one of the pioneers of online poker? So I picked up and moved to Malta, which I didn't even know where it existed. I took a backpack and just went, got a hotel room for a few days and ended up signing a lease and stayed there for a couple of years. Cause you liked it. Yeah, it was cool. It's like a little Gilligan's Island in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's a tiny little speck of dust on the map. Like you, it's just tiny. Um, but it was, it was a interesting experience in my life to be living by myself on a rock for two years. But in that process, I built the third biggest poker brand in the world from a laptop. You built the third largest yes. poker brand in the world yeah. from your laptop in Malta. Correct. And that man on Gilligan's Island. This is 2008, 2009 when it's not like there was a bunch of social media platforms. I was using Skype for everything. There was nothing to like make it. Oh my gosh. And so what was important in that time was how do I delegate? How do I execute? How do I fight these 800 pound gorillas? I'm up against poker stars in full tilt 
who do four million and eight million dollars a day in yeah. revenue. I'm the little engine that could that didn't even have that money money to start my whole company, and that's what they're doing in a day. And so I started creating different ways to get us famous without spending the money that they're spending. And so I built a team of poker pros, Playboy Playmates, DJ Steve Aoki, and Dan Bilzerian, all these different characters to be the faces of my poker site and then get them onto TV shows that my competitors were paying for. So back in the days, there was like Poker After Dark. Uh, there was uh, High Stakes Poker. There's all these different TV shows, the Poker Stars Big Game. Well, the Poker Stars Big Game, which they spent $9 million on their set alone, three of the nine players every night was wearing my clothing. <laughs> guess how much I paid for the Poker Stars Big Game I'm marketing? Gonna guess, I'm guess zero. Right, Rams was zero. And every single episode for years, three out of the nine players were wearing my clothing, my hat, my hoodie, my sweatshirt, my t-shirt, talking with everyone about it and being the most talkative players on the table. I did that across every country. There were shows in Europe, Germany, Italy. I just flew my poker pros out to TV shows. That was my whole cost. And a lot of times they paid for themselves because they wanted to go play because they would go win in those games anyway. So everyone was happy in the scenario and I made this brand super, super famous and not spending anything. And so thinking about when you're fighting against an 800 pound gorilla, how can you be creative with your marketing? And I tried to do that in every diff different business that I have. That's incredible. I mean, that, that's amazing. And how, how about when was the exit? So I did that for a couple of years. And then there was something called Black Friday, which was April 15th, about a decade ago. And on that day, Full Tilt, Poker Stars and another company all got shut down that morning by the FBI. And so by default, I'm now number one in the world. Congratulations. No, thank you. <laughs> I don't want to win that way. Right. And I'm not sure. Are they going to be mad at me? Did I do something wrong? And I'm looking through and I found out what they did was they were miscoding their merchant transactions. So I was like, Phew. these guys had like 50 to 200 different merchant accounts. I had one. It was, said victory poker marketing. And it was at Wells Fargo with KPMG accounting. That was it. I had one bank account, one merchant account. So simple. I didn't get it. I never got a letter. I never got in trouble, obviously, because I wasn't doing what they were doing. But by default, I'm now theoretically number one. I'm not going to play that game. Right. I, don't, I don't trust the, what could happen with the government. I don't know what's going to happen with the players and getting their money back. So I spent the next four days manually paying back 41,000 players. Wow. Just so I could sleep at night because I was concerned what happens if my players don't get paid back. And I knew that the competing sites, they weren't being able to pay people back because the government sees their money in 16 different countries mm. and billions of dollars. And so it ended up taking half a decade for them to get their money back. And most people didn't get their money back from your competitors, from my competitors, but not from you within four days. Every single person got paid back. Wow. Literally by April 19th, everybody was paid back Wow. all across the world. And I was very vocal about the whole process. I did like 80 something interviews from ESPN to the local newspaper to Anybody that listen, I was like, hey guys, here's my bank accounts. Here's my, I'm wiring everybody back. Um, merchant credit card, we're, we're sending it back to you, PayPal. If you have any money with us, withdraw. We're gonna send you your money this right now. Do it right now. And I just went as aggressive as I could across every platform possible to say, hey, withdraw your money. And it was the toughest decision that wasn't a decision. Meaning it's tough to close a company worth $65 million when I'm a kid living by myself with no overhead. You weren't even 30 yet, were you? Right. And so like I was in this amazing situation 
But I say it wasn't a decision because if they didn't get the players didn't get their money back, I couldn't sleep at night. And so I'm glad I did it. And it, it changed the rest of my life in a very positive way. I realized in that moment, in the worst business moment of my life, that I was never going to have all my eggs in one basket again. And so I became an angel investor and I invested in 36 companies since then. I started a social media agency. That's been the story of my life. Like that built my personal brand and everything. I started speaking at events. I started partnering and doing joint ventures. Like everything happened because I wasn't all in on that one company anymore. And that one tragic moment set me up for the rest of my life. That's kind of interesting because I was about to ask you what your takeaway was. And uh, it sounds like the takeaway was that not, not to just do just one thing. I, I, yeah. And to do it right. It sounds like you, it sounds like, and, and help me out with this, but I mean, I know you're, you're, you are one of the premier branding experts in the world, but it sounds like you were also protecting your Dan Fleischman brand. For sure. I mean, at, with at all that times. poker, right? Yes. Like at all the, times. That, I mean, do, do you think that that's paid dividends as you move forward in other things of how you handled the online poker? Yes. I, so I say it so I can sleep at night, but also so that I can walk in any poker room and I get high fives, not the things that have happened to the competitors that didn't pay people back. People pour beer on their head, getting fist fights. Like, and a lot of times those founders of those other brands or executives of those other brands or endorsers or sponsors of those other brands, they didn't have control of the money. They didn't not want to pay people back. However, scoreboard is a scoreboard. You're a guy in Ohio that didn't get your 600 bucks back. You might pour a beer on that guy's head because you think that he didn't pay you back, right? Yeah. And so for me, it was so important. That's why I was so vocal and so aggressive to make sure everyone got paid back. I, I want to be able to walk into a poker room and get the high five. Not for the attaboys, but so that nobody, no guy in Ohio is mad at me. I, I, I have to protect my personal brand at all costs for that. So 36 different entities now you've invested as an yeah. angel investor. Yep. So I want to talk about some of those in just a second, like the card shop. Yep. But uh, let me just ask, a, what do you look for when you're investing, making angel investments? Hands down, far and away, the most important thing is the quarterback. The person running the company. Ideas are not just a dime a dozen, they're a dime a bazillion, right? You and I hear a zillion ideas every single week, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I don't sign NDAs because I don't care. I'm not going to hear about your story. I'm never going to share your idea. Your idea is literally irrelevant. And I don't want to be mean. I'm being blunt. Your idea is irrelevant because someone has to execute on it and go through the struggles after you're right, wrong, and anything in between. If you're right, there's a ton of struggles. If you're wrong, there's a ton of struggles. Everything in between, there's a ton of struggles. And so... Your idea is irrelevant because without someone that's going to live and die that thing, that, I, that event, that brand, that mobile app, that whatever that thing is, without that someone to be the live and dying quarterback, it's irrelevant. And so the only true thing that matters to me is, will this person work at three in the morning on this thing? When Sunday rolls around and they're supposed to go to the family party and people might think that's rude or, oh, you, they need to take care of their mental health. I, I get it. But if I'm giving them a million dollars, I want them to work at three in the morning on Saturday. Not every night, but when it when the time comes, when, when it matters, to. I don't want them to be like, oh, I'll work on it next, next week. And so I look for entrepreneurs that care. I'll give you a quick example. So let's say this guy went to Harvard and he has red paper, red plastic cups. And his red plastic cups comes in a hundred pack. He sells them for $12.99. This girl 
she has green plastic cups, but they're biodegradable. They help save the manatees and the elephants and the whales and the sharks. And they have this whole recycling program to help reduce the waste around the, around the planet. Who's going to work at three in the morning? You think the kid from Harvard is? You think he cares? He has a fallback because if I give him a million bucks and he goes builds a business and it doesn't work out, the kid from Harvard can go work for you or anybody else in a heartbeat and make his big six figure salary and he's fine. What about this girl who didn't go to college? She barely graduated high school, but she wants to save the world. And she wants to make sure it's biodegradable, 0% vegan, non-carbon, non-this, non-that, non-toxic. She's going to work at three in the morning, I promise. And so even if this guy has better efficiencies because he's the Harvard well-polished guy that's went through eight years of school, I'm going to bet on her every time to figure it out. Because when the going gets tough, I don't know what he's going to do at Saturday, three in the morning besides sleep. I've had people ask me the same question I just asked you, and my answer is really similar to yours. So, but I have the opportunity to battle test my people. So like they'll, they'll work for me for a while. And then I put them in really, really hard situations and the cream rise at the top. So like I've had people say to me in the past, Hey, I don't know. You should know this, but your partner, he actually had a few days like a month ago where he was working all night. And I think you should call him and thank him. And I just sort of chuckled to myself because like, that's, that was part of the proving process. I mean, like that's, that's why he's my partner. I'm not going to call him and thank him. I mean, I don't mean to, I'm not just being rude. Right. That's just, that's why he's my partner. He already proved or he or she had proved that they would do that beforehand. That was, that's why they, that's how they got in the door. Yep. So, but Mike, how do you do it? Like, how do you know who the quarterbacks are? So I'm asking them a lot of prying questions about their, their life and their vision, their passion, because the red cup and the green cup are a commodity, right? There's lots of companies that can make plastic cups. So finding out why, why does anybody care? First, I want to know why they care. Why do you care about the red cup versus the green cup? He cares because it's like, well, twelve ninety nine. We have efficiencies because everyone else is fourteen ninety nine, and we can save consumers two dollars. So I'm going to do eighteen percent more sale. Cool, cool story, bro. Her, I, it would take me half an hour to explain why, right? Because <laughs> she wants to save the world. Yep. And so I'm asking questions about their why, and then I'm asking why will someone buy your red cup or your green cup versus? The red cup company that we've all know for the last 50 years of our life because it's just the main one that's been there our whole dixie cups or whatever they've just they've been there forever we just know that cup well he's like well i got better marketing i got this no you don't because they've got a bazillion dollars good luck to you she has a story so her why to her customers like why would they buy it vegan gluten-free zero percent biodegradable every buzzword you can imagine she has a chance to take market share from the other red cup company he, I don't know if he does. Your $2 savings is probably not going to be the big needle mover. And so understanding their why and understanding why the consumers would care. Hmm. I think I've only met one of your, one or two of the people you've worked with in the past. I think one of them speaking tonight. Yep. I, I could tell he was someone uh, who gets stuff done. And then you introduced me to, I think, the CEO, your partner with Everbowl. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I asked you why you invested in Everbowl. You said the same thing. You hmm. said, because this guy's a go-getter. He's a, he, he knows how to get yep. it done and he's just driven. And um, I don't care if he was selling lamps, I would invest the same amount of money <laughs> with, with him. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's who he is. Yep. So um, is there, if I ask about the card shop that you started, so I think you, you, you told me a while, a while back you were opening a card shop was in Hollywood, yep. right in the middle of the pandemic when the whole world was going to, to especially to, LA. <laughs> yeah. That everything's just going in, in the pot and it looks like Dan decides to go make an investment in a card shop and a, 
you went from nothing. You got some great partners. And what are you at? Six, seven million? Just yeah. a few months later? Yeah. So we opened in October. I have no neighbors for blocks because LA is one of the biggest shutdowns in America. And yeah, we did over $6 million in sales in six months. It's actually more like $7 million in sales if you add in like checks and wires and Bitcoin. But just off of our merchant accounts, we saw over $6 million in sales. Wow. And I, I, I do what's called building in public. So I actually post our screenshots from our Shopify accounts, from our Square accounts, and explaining to people and trying to empower them and for them to feel it like, hey, I know we're in the middle of a pandemic and a lot of retailers are closing down, but you can create a business if it's part of your passion. You can create a business even in times where everyone else is shutting down. And so I literally show when we hit our first million sales, when we hit two million, when we hit five million, I literally make pictures that show the dates, times, and then you can slide and see all the screenshots from the merchant accounts and explain to them how and why it's called, I call it building in public. That's great. So just transparency. Yeah. Yeah. And people see that your clients, everyone tend to, they tend to like that. Right. They feel emotionally attached. What was it about the, yeah. Feeling emotionally attached. What, what was special about that? But why did you want to open a card shop? Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk asked me to meet him in Chicago for a big card show a couple of years ago. And I just fell in love again. You know, a lot of us used to collect cards 20, 30 years ago. And I bought a lot of cards at, during that show. Not a lot of cards during that show. I bought some LeBron James and Michael Jordan rookie cards during that show for a thousand bucks and 2000 bucks. And all of a sudden those cards were like five grand and 12 grand. I was like, this is 400, 500% difference. It's crazy. A month goes by, it's up 800%. And as an investor, if I make 10, 20, 30%, I'm ecstatic, right? Yeah. And so seeing these things go hundreds and hundreds of percent hot up, and they're like artwork to me. They're, they're the main cards. I just fell in love with it. And so after a few months, I realized I had way too many cards. And my wife was like, what are you doing? Like, this is, so you have such a huge collection now. And then Gary jokingly said, oh, we should start a card shop. You know, we should do something like cards and coffee. Make it really cool, like Apple-esque, you know? And, you know, you, I was like, oh, you mean like Blockbuster versus Netflix? Because most card stores are like Blockbuster. They've been there for 30 years and they won't change. I could be like Netflix. I'll be the cool kid, you know, make it fun. So I got with uh, DJ Steve Aoki and DJ Ski. And I put in 1.6 million of my own collection, opened up a card store literally on Hollywood Boulevard in the middle of nowhere when nobody else is. used to be one of the biggest tourist destinations in the world. Now there's nobody and it's worked. And I'm going to open our second location here in Salt Lake city literally tomorrow. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Are the same partners? Uh, th they're partners in the parent company, yep. but there's local Utah real estate guys and local Utah guys that, um, they came together to open the shop and then license the name for me so I can help them with it. That's fantastic. Do you, you hope to do more or more stores? Yeah. Yeah. I would like to do New Jersey, Miami, and Vancouver in particularly those three. And then other places need to have a shop, but I need a quarterback there. Sports cards. There's, you know, there's thousands and thousands of cards and yeah. a lot of decisions and a lot of different price points and like ten, small margins of 20 to 40%, which is good margins, but 20 to 40%. So you can avoid making mistakes if you know the game really well. And so I would need a really good quarterback in Miami and New Jersey, Vancouver. I do have one because this guy's got one of the biggest sports card pages in the world and he knows the game. I need someone like that in the other cities before I would do it. Looking for quarterbacks. Yes. So how was the transition? How did you become like a marketing guru? So like elevator studios and yep. Yeah. You're kind of the man in that space. So I just got in really early. And if you take someone and throw them in the pool, they better learn how to swim or they're going to die. Right. And so I got thrown in the social media world and I just started swimming and I didn't want to die. 
And so the way I learned how to swim was I was studying and researching everything about every platform. And the second a new platform came out, I studied and researched all of it. I was one of the first people on Twitter, the first people on Facebook, the first people on Instagram. I had to be in there, TikTok, LinkedIn, Snapchat, I don't care. I just have to have an account and I have to get in there and understand the game. And there's plenty of platforms that come and go, but I feel like which ones are gonna be like, okay, Clubhouse, that's gonna crush it. TikTok, that's gonna be really good. And then I'd be on other platforms like, this isn't gonna work, I'm still gonna make an account, try to feel it out. And so as you do that more and more, and then people and brands started giving me budgets to spend money on social media, well, I start to learn a lot too, because now I'm spending other people's money. Hey, you wanna market this water company? I'll pay 20 influencers for you, and I'll pay Kylie Jenner and Kim Kardashian to hold up your water. I can get to learn about analytics and KPIs and why did, this, why did this work and what hour of the day should I post it and when, when was the highest engagement? And so just going through that, I've done 110,000 paid posts. That's the actual number. Christmas. And so because of that, I just learned a lot. Wow. So like millions and millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, over $60 million. Yeah. Over $60 million. Yeah. In, in so that's how much we've spent as an agency. Yeah. In paid posts. Is your agency able to do a lot of work also for all the businesses, the 36 different things yes. that you're invested in? Yeah, not all of them, um, but some of them, yes. For it sure. seems like your agency could almost be full-time just like servicing. Just on us, yeah. Just servicing you. Yeah. So uh, that expands then out into like Elevator elevator Studios, ex expands into Elevator Nights, and, and then you have like, I know I'm bringing up multiple things here, but you have like an online thing that's uh, $100 million uh, the Academy? Yeah, the 100 yep. million Academy. You've got the 100 million dollar um, mastermind. Mastermind. Yeah, there's a lot. So, Elevator Nights is our free events for entrepreneurs. Uh, our 39th one is in one hour inside of your building. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, we sold out, which is great. When I say sold out, it's free to attend. There's no tickets, no sponsors, no sales on stage. Is your first one in Utah? This is my first one here, yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, and then 100millionacademy.com, that is a entrepreneurial site with over 300 hours of content from different instructors that really understand their niche. So this person's really great at sales. This person's done 200 million in cannabis. This person's done 500 million in paid media. They're teaching about their respective niche really, really, really well. And 100 million mastermind, the experience, that's an actual in-person event that we do three times a year, um, these big fancy weekends. And that's a high level instructors with high level entrepreneurs really getting down and dirty for three days and learning everything in the daytime. And then at nighttime, I, I put on a show with Mark Wahlberg and Chris Jenner and Magic Johnson and Tyga and I make, you know, fun celebrity stuff. That sounds like a blast. Yeah, yeah it's well, well intended. And, and it's just, do you do, is there just one event that just rotates around the country or do you have multiple? So, yeah, so Elevator Nights is the free event that's been all over the country. Yep. Those are the free ones. Uh, 100 Million Mastermind is three times a year. It's three day weekends. Uh -huh. So the next one's in Miami. Our first one was in Sounds LA. like it's a place to be. Yes. Uh, and then we have the Avengers Mastermind, which is fo focused on real estate. That's also three, three weekends a year. And then we have 100 Million Academy events occasionally, where we'll do it virtually with a hybrid event. So like this, where we'll have a couple hundred people in the room and then the rest are watching virtually. Well, I attended one of your events. It, 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 yep. it, yeah, and, and I thought what I was struck by was one, how awesome everyone was that was there and how you really carved out time where you could meet people meaning who could share meaningful, uh, information with you and to help, uh, um, brainstorm. So like just at our table, we had just some really talented people yep. who were coaching right. and you could ask questions to different people in the room. And it just seemed like an unbelievable, an un I've never been in that good of a networking opportunity. So just in one little room in your own local towns, you can create your own mastermind. So, 
what you do is if you, let's say you're in the paid media space or you're in the real estate space, find the other people, the other guys and girls in your town and say, Hey, look, once a month, let's have a dinner or let's sit down on a Sunday for a couple hour lunch. Let's just talk about what are you doing? Right? What are you doing wrong? What are your struggles? What can I help you with? And what can you help me with? What we do is a large group. There's a hundred people. They all have big businesses. That's a, you don't need to be all that big and fancy like that. Literally find four to 10 people in your local town. You can do this virtually, but I prefer in person. A lot more happens in person. Grab four to 10 people in your local town that are in your same world, right? That they have at least a business that's doing six or seven figures a year. It doesn't have to be a zillionaire. Find other people in your local town that do things that you like and do things you respect or in your niche and really just talk once a month. If, if you teach me about Oh, wait, if you get a patent for this, you could do this. Or, hey, if you set up your 501c3 for your charity, you could actually do this and this. Hey, did you know you could write off 5% by doing this, this, and this? That changes your whole life, right? Saving 5% or saving 10%, people are like, oh, that, that's not that big a deal. What if you do 1 million a year and you save 10%? That's 100 grand a year forever. And then next year, you're probably going to do 2 million. And the year after, yeah, you might do 4 million and then 6 million and 10 million. And you just keep saving 10% a year because of this one thing you learned at a lunch because Dan and Jason said, hey, you should have a little mastermind together. And so that's why I think it's so important is being around smart people in your space because the things you learn are invaluable. Yeah, I think earlier you said that your greatest teacher, the best things you learned early on were the mistakes you made. My guess is, you, I mean, I would still say that's the things I'm learning still today are the mistakes. So if you can get together with some people who will say, hey, can I, can I show you a, a mistake I made you that made you go bankrupt? I'd much rather learn from your mistake, right? <laughs> yeah, right? All right, yeah, here I made this mistake and it was like I would have never known and it cost me $10 million. Yep. So, yeah, I think that you, you get that in those kind of situations. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I think so too. So uh, um, what are some some social media tips that you can give to some of us who are who are not social media savants like you? Sure. Uh, post once a day on okay. every major every major social media platform. I know that sounds difficult, but you really only need to create your content for one main platform. And then repurpose that same content, that same video or photo with the same caption on all the other platforms. If you do that, now four or five platforms you're posting on, you're like, I just love Instagram or I just love Facebook or I just love TikTok. It's fine. You can, that can be your one main one that you interact with the most and you love the most. However, that same 47 second video you post on Instagram, put it on TikTok, put it on LinkedIn, put it on Facebook, put it on Twitter. And if you do that, you put yourself in a position to get lucky. Right, you're getting top of mind awareness and you don't know where your followers live and you don't know where the people that don't necessarily know who you are, where they live. When I say live, they might live on Twitter, but you rarely tweet because you love Instagram. Well, you don't want to miss out on those, those people. And so by just simply posting content across all the major platforms once a day, it'll help you with top of mind awareness. Two, it's easier if you take a day like a Sunday, spend a couple hours, and just film or photograph all the content that you're going to want for the rest of the month in one day. So that way That's great. on a Thursday, you're like, oh, Dan and Jason told me I need to post today. And I, I don't, I don't feel like it. Don't you got it in your phone. If you want to post it, it's already in your phone. You already have your caption written, post it. If you don't even feel like doing that, I'm not gonna be mad at you, but I will tell you that the habit if well, maybe I'm not gonna post Friday either. Yeah. I'm not gonna post Saturday either. And all of a sudden it's been three weeks. So if you just post once a day and it takes you that whole three minutes of doing that, of copy and pasting and posting, a lot of fascinating things can happen for your personal brand and for your business. 
That's great advice. I think I read somewhere that you you said don't post about politics, religion, or race. You want to comment on that? Sure. I think you said because you you can't win. It's impossible to win. Yeah. Let me give you an example. So let's say a Jewish person and a Muslim person walk into a room and we lock the door and they go talk. And they nicely talk, yelled talk, whatever talk that they do. When we unlock the door and open it up, out of a thousand times running that scenario, is there ever going to be one time when the Muslim's like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to become Jewish today. No. Literally zero. Not 1%, not 0.01. It's just zero. Same thing if someone who loves Trump versus someone who loves Biden walk into that same room, we lock the door and practice it again. Are we ever, out of a thousand times, a thousand times they go in, a thousand different people, are they ever going to walk out and be like, you know what? That guy was right. I love Trump too. No. Literally zero, right? It's not 1%. It's not 0.01. It's just zero. And so because of that, why would I ever put myself in a situation to post something on social media where I have a 0% chance of swaying someone and the people that agree with me already agree with me. So all I can do is make 50% of the people mad. That's it. Nothing else can happen. And by the way, now I got to sit and argue with 50% of my people or they're going to leave me. So I mean, they're going to make them mad, have to argue and respond with them or they leave me. Why? Why would I ever do that? So I just don't do that. That's it. It's not that I don't have my own opinions. I may like this president or that president. I may like this religion or that religion. I may like this situation or that situation. So what? I'm not going to sway you. And I don't want to argue with you because you're not going to change your mind. And we have very short lives, right? We're going to all be here for 60 to 100 years, right? And some people might have a little variation from that. That's it. And in that time, I don't want to argue with Johnny444 about Trump versus Biden. I don't. Yeah, and if you're building, trying to build brands, you're saying that's a great way to just, you, you, if you post about, if you're alienate a third of the people in each of those subjects, then if you do it, if you post on each one of them, then maybe you've alienated everyone. Right. Yeah, that's, I think that's great advice. I know I know from my interactions with you, Dan, that like charity's always been a big part of you yep. as a person and who and you're, you have a strong, you have some strong opinions about giving back. I was yes. hoping you could talk about that a little bit. So that I'm passionate about, and I, I try to instill it into entrepreneurs and just people in general's minds and hearts that charity is important. And so I tie it into every single business. So yeah. sports card store, I did a $200,000 giveaway last month. Just gave it away, okay? Vice versa, I do charity stuff where I go out and give out backpacks to the homeless, and it's things that are $100. The money part is irrelevant. It's the concept of it of, hey, my sports car business gave away cards to 100 or two, sorry, 218 different people got these cards for free. On the homeless side, me and a bunch of friends went out and gave out backpacks filled with supplies. A few nights ago here in Utah, we went and tipped $15,000 to the waitresses, waiters, and staff. It was a bunch of us, 15 of us, put up a thousand bucks each, and we surprised the waiters and waitresses at the end of the night with all these tips. It was actually. 18 of us and we tipped some of the other people. Anyways, so $18,000 was raised on a random Wednesday night to give out to the wait staff. If you notice the, the trend, whether it's a charity poker tournament, whether it's my sports card store, whether it's just me casually being in Salt Lake City and hanging out with my friends, incorporating charity into everything that I do is just a natural fit for me and none of it's for me. I want it because now those guys in Utah and that, those people at that restaurant are going to remember that forever. The friends that came with me to give out the backpacks to the homeless are going to remember that forever. And hopefully they're going to copy it in, back in their local town. 
the people from that sports card giveaway, hopefully they'll do something good when they, right? Like I just incorporated it because I believe that she, people can copy what I'm doing. Four times a year for the last six years in a row, four times a year I do a back to school drive for 300 kids. I do a, uh, what's it called? A school drive, so after the summer's over, an actual school drive for school supplies, Thanksgiving food drive, and then a toy drive. F same, same four events, six years in a row, same location, usually three to 400 families, and then everything extra we go give to other shelters. That's, there's no money involved in that. People are donating pencils and turkeys and toys. It's nothing that's expensive. And more importantly, people replicated what we did, and they've been replicating it all over the planet. That's what I want. I don't ask people to donate to my stuff. Go do it in your own city. You can go donate to the local shelter. You can go donate to the homeless person. You can go to the local children's hospital. You don't need me. You don't need me to do it for you. I just feel like I can show people all these diverse ways to easily incorporate charity into their life. And it'll create more emotional attachment if you do that with your kids, if you do that with your friends, with your staff, with your family, your friends, your coworkers, like your, just your local community. That emotional attachment will live on forever. Because it's the right thing to do, right? Yes. It's just the right thing to do. And if you've been blessed at being an entrepreneur in business with and having something, it's just, I think there's a duty to give back, right? I mean, it, it feels good. Yes. You're happier. If for no other reason, if, if the only thing you can cope with is out of selfishness, you'll feel better yes. if you go give back. But it's the right, it's the right thing to do. Yep. And so that's what I'm hearing you say, because what I'm hearing you say is not only I do it these ways and you don't need to do it with me, Dan Fleischman. No. I'm hearing you saying, go do it on your own and go replicate. And it, what I'm hearing echoing in the back of my head is I'm saying, why is Dan doing that? Why is he saying that? And I, the only thing I can cope with is because you're a good guy and you want people to go do good, yes. make people's lives better. It, it multiplies across the planet. If I can inspire seven people to go do it and then they go give out 50 backpacks each and then seven people start doing back to school drives and seven people start doing like, it just starts multiplying. Imagine if hundreds of millions of people started doing some charity work each year, a little bit. Right? If hundreds of millions of people just started doing one or two extra things a year, you're talking about impacting billions of lives. And I'm not talking about money. It's not about someone, oh, I raised a billion dollars for, great, God bless you. I don't get to see what that money does. What I do see is when seven people go make their own back to school drives in seven different cities, I know what happened. I know that kids got their back to school drives. I know if people do a Thanksgiving food drive in 17 different towns because they copied us, fantastic. You know what happened? 17 events happened and hundreds of people came to those events and 3,700 people, whatever the number is, got food. I know that happened. And so I like seeing things that people can see, feel, and touch. And that's what I try to create. Well, thanks. Thanks for your time today too, Dan. I mean, uh, our, our, my, the company I own, our mission is to improve the quality of life for our customers, team, and community. And one of the things that I like about you as, a, as an individual is like in every interaction I've ever had with you, it's clear that your mind is bent on improving the quality of life for other people and helping other people. You are so open, so transparent, and everything and everything I've ever seen you do is kind of an aim to help people yep. and to make the world a better place. I think that's one of the things that defines you and makes you uh, just an incredible person. So thanks, thanks again Appreciate for your time it. and for the great advice you shared with us today. Thanks for having me, and thanks for letting us use the building. This will be fun tonight. I'm excited. Can't wait. Thank you. Thanks.